Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. I wanted to share this morning, and uh, we were going to launch a series called Together Today, uh, about the power of community. Uh, but I, I just out of obedience this morning, I, I can't share. Uh, I felt since about uh, Thursday lunchtime that I needed to continue on from the journey last week about pursuing the presence of God. And uh, so I make no apologies this morning. I just want to remain obedient to what I feel that the Lord's placing in my heart to share with us today. Um, and Rach tonight will be coming and she'll be sharing a great word. And I just believe it'll be a really, really big encouragement. So this morning, it's pursuing the presence of God. And it's part two, I guess you'd call it. And uh, this morning, I'm going to start with some stuff that's a bit negative, And then we're going to finish with some stuff that's really, really positive. Amen. But I'm sure that through this process... And through the words of God uh, this morning that you're going to come away with this place with a greater sense of God's desire to want to communicate and to connect with you in a personal way. So Heavenly Father, I just surrender myself to the Holy Spirit today. Lord, I pray that uh, you would use me, Lord, as a vessel this morning. I, I surrender my, my mouth to you, my words to you today, my mind to you, my soul to you today, my spirit today. I just ask you, Lord that you would use me to glorify Jesus, to encourage the great people here today. And I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. So I wanted to start with a, a, a scripture that came to my attention during the week. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's about, it's about end times, and it's bringing some teaching around this thought. And I wanted to share it with you and bring out a thought. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters... Let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet with him. Don't be so easily shaken and alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision and revelation or a letter supposedly from us, don't be fooled by what they say. Now listen to this. For that day will not come unless there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawless is revealed, the one who brings destruction. And really what captured my attention there was that thought there, a great rebellion against God. And I sort of asked the question, you know, in the world today, are we seeing uh, a great rebellion against God, uh, against our, our Christian faith? Are we seeing a rebellion taking place right now? And I started to think about it and thought about some, some, some things that we're sort of experiencing now. And I come to the conclusion that I think that yesterday... We are seeing a great rebellion against God. In fact, when we start to, to think about it, I've never been, I've been on the planet for 51 years, and in that um, short period of time, I have never seen such an anti-God sentiment. I've never seen such an anti-God sentiment. The movies, the movies, the schools, the government are so anti our Christian faith. In fact, we're kicking God out of the schools. We're kicking God out of our institutions. Our government is literally, I believe, rebelling against God. And last week, we touched on, and I want to touch on a little bit again this morning, we touched on the effects of secularism on the church and how that's affecting the church today. And I wanted just to define the term secularism, what it is. Secularism is the separation of faith from politics and education, and that through secularism, communities like ours are not to be influenced in any way by the truth of Scripture. For example, did you know for the first time in our history of elections... Neither sides of the political parties reached out to the evangelical church. In fact, they refused to reach out to the evangelical church in Australia. Both sides of our political leaders refused to reach out to them. I think it's absolutely 
unbelievable. In fact, both of our parties now, um, uh, we think it's going to be Liberal Party, but we're not quite sure, but it looks like that will be the case. But both, both of the parties have an agenda to push um, same-sex marriage in our nation. Now, if we had have taken that 10 years ago, we would have said, no, never, no way, no. But we're seeing today the effects of secularism creeping in to so many arenas within our, within our community. In fact, I had a meeting about a month ago with some pastors in our city. We were having a morning tea and a catch-up. There was about 10 there. And one of them said something to me that really, really started to make me think about what really is taking place in our community today. And it was this, because we were talking about secularism. We were talking about, well, you know, what is the, the answer to all the darkness? And of course, we know it's the gospel. But one of them said something that really captured my attention. And he said, Shane, this, this is the first generation of young people that are growing up thinking that homosexuality is absolutely normal. And when I heard that, I went, Wow, he's absolutely right. There's never been a generation of children up until now that have thought that homosexuality is an absolutely normal thing to do. And it really, really started to strike a chord with me. And I started to think, wow, how true that is. And, you know, when we look across the globe, I was thinking about America today and, you know, the, the political leaders there today and just wanted to highlight some things about them as well because we, we see today for America, Donald Trump is, is not, not outwardly a, a religious person and I don't think he, he bears any fruit of Christ-likeness. And yet he could be the, the leader of the, the, the leader of the, what do you call it, the, the leader of the free world at some point. And then I thought about Hillary Clinton and she said advertising, her, her advertising about faith does not come naturally to her. Then Bernie Sanders, another gentleman that was running for the race, is not actively involved in any, um, um, any sort of religion, any sort of faith. And these are the leaders of the free world. It's time for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand and to boldly proclaim, not fearing, not fearing persecution, because yes, we will be persecuted. But at the end of the day, throughout history, at any given time where God's spirit was going to move in great power and with great authority, it was because Christians, men and women of God, stood up and boldly and, and daringly declared the word of God. Daringly declared the word of God. But you know, secularism, it just wants to shut us down. It wants to stop us from thinking that we have a voice. It wants to stop us thinking that we have the truth of God's word. It wants to, wants to make us think that what we say will be offensive to others. And I want to say today, yes, it will be. The gospel is offensive. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except for me. That alone is offensive. But friends, that is the truth, is it not? Is it not? And that's why we have to be so careful with our thinking that's why I believe there's, there's three elements, three things that we need to continue to cultivate to keep us safe, and that is firstly the Word of God. We must not allow ourselves to drift away from the truth of the Word of God or to allow the Word of God to be watered down in any shape or fashion or form. Is same-sex marriage wrong? Yes. Is the act of homosexuality wrong? Yes, in the eyes of God. Do we judge those people? No, that's up to God. We're called to love everyone but not to excuse the sin and say it must be all right, even though the Word of God declares it totally, absolutely, utterly despicable in the eyes of God. Amen? 
So not, not allowing the word of God to be watered down in our hearts and in our lives. The second thing is making sure that we're committed to community as well. Coming here on a Sunday is awesome when we need to continue to do that. But where are we finding community during the week to be held accountable for what we're thinking and what we're seeing and, and, and how we're going as an individual, amen? Community is so important. And the last thing, the last thing, and we wanted to touch on this this morning, the last thing that I think that we need to be ever increasingly pursuing and the antidote for secularism is pursuing the presence of God, having encounters with the living God. I don't care what people may say or, or what the world might be doing. At the end of the day, my experience, I'm, I'm a, a man with an experience will never be at the mercy with a man with an argument. I don't think I quite said that right. But today I'm thoroughly, 100%. Glad you're laughing with me this morning. That's good. But 100% convinced that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. 100% convinced that this is the living word of God, the breathed word of God. 100% convinced that this is the answer to our communities. This is the answer to a human's heart. There's nothing else that is an answer other than the Word of God. But the presence of God, that's what we want to talk about this morning, pursuing the presence of God, having encounters with God, allowing God to, to really connect with us in a personal way that we walk from that place going, God, I might be struggling in my mind, but I know within my heart that you are real because I've encountered something of your presence. We sing a song, and I don't want to share the lyrics with you this morning because I believe it's our prayer and it's called, called the Holy, it's called Holy Spirit. And it says this, one of the parts of the lyrics. It says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what I'm searching for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Amen? I believe that there is a presence of God that God is wanting us to experience. I believe with all of my heart that God is alive. He is alive and He is living. But I also believe that our God is a God of relationship. That He saved us not just to know that we will go to heaven, but He saved us so that we could experience His presence. That we would know without exception that God is alive and living in our hearts. Amen. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we seek. God wants us to experience more of his presence. And for some people, I said last week, it might seem like a really strange thing to say, but I believe that God wants us to know what it means to experience his presence. And during the week, I was looking at this, the journey of, of the, uh, the, the Israelites as they were coming out of um, 430 years, I think, 430 years of slavery, uh, being slaves to Egypt. And the whole story in, in the book of Exodus, in particular, I wanted to share and bring something out in Exodus chapter 19, because we see the God of the Bible in the Old Testament, who is a God of relationship, who is a God that wants intimacy with his people. We see that here in the Old Testament, and we also see it here in the New Testament as well. But I wanted to draw a couple of thoughts out of the Old Testament this morning that help us to be encouraged in the fact that if we come to God with an open heart, with a sincerity of heart, with a desire to meet with God, then God is so willing to meet with us as well. The story takes place about three months after the Israelites have been set free from Egypt in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. And they are now on the other side of the Red Sea, where they camped in a desert place at Mount Sinai. 
And the children of Israel are thinking that their journey is about heading to a destination called the promised land. Wouldn't you think that that would be the case after 430 years of slavery, generation after generation after generation after generation of slavery? God gives them a promise of, of um, freeing them. God gives them a promise of taking, out of their, taking them out of their slavery and uh, bringing them to a promised land. And you would think that their only thought is that they are eventually going to make their way to a promised land. But I wanted to bring something out here. Because God summons Moses to the top of Mount Sinai where he receives a message from God to his people. And it's what God says that really struck me about God's desire to intimately connect with those that love him with a purity of heart. Because it says this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to where? Look at it. Where did, where did God bring them to? To himself. Listen to these thoughts. What beautiful words I brought you to myself. God didn't deliver them out of Egypt just to bring them to a promised land, nor did he display his great power just to resettle them. He brought them out so that they could be with him. This was God's profound thought. God's whole motivation in everything he did for them was to bring them into a deeper level of relationship with him. The ultimate destination of their journey was not a place so much as a person, God himself. Do you get that this morning? Do you see that this morning? His ultimate purpose was not to take them to a destination, but to bring them to himself. God wanted to connect with his people and he wanted his people to connect with him as well. I absolutely love that thought up there. And you know, for us as well, in comparison, the thought is this. God didn't just save us to leave us with the hope that we'll get to heaven one day. He saved us so that we could be with him, that each of us could connect with God in real and meaningful ways. Amen. God wants us to have life-changing encounters with him. But encountering God's presence, it comes down to the desire of our hearts. Do we desire a greater encounter with God? Amen? Encountering God's presence or more of His presence comes down to the desires of our heart. How desirous are you this morning for God? Like David said in the book of Psalm, Psalms chapter 42, verse 2, listen to the, the, the depth of hunger in David's heart. He says this, As the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Amen. I believe that as people of God, we've got to continue to stir our hunger and our heart for God. Amen. It's so easy today. It is so easy and it is so dangerous today to consume our minds and our thoughts and our eyes with all of the things of the world. It's so scary today how much time we must be spending in front of a screen. Truly, I'm not preaching at us this morning. I'm preaching for us, amen? Preaching for us. But it's so easy to think about how much time we give to so many things of the world, the distractions, the things that come our way, the, uh, the messages that we receive, the images that we see, all that stuff. And I wonder if those things really are potentially robbing our desire for God, for more of his presence. David said, Lord, what did he say? Bring it back up. As the deer pants for the water, brick so pants my soul for you. Listen to it. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Have we got a thirsty soul for God today? 
Are we stirring our soul for an encounter with God? Is there something within us that's standing in our homes or in our bedrooms or in our workplaces, just crying out to God saying, God, I just want to encounter more of your presence. You see, that's the sort of hunger and the desire that we need, a desire from the within that says, God, I want to touch you. God, I want to encounter you. I don't want to just keep living this life the way that I am and experiencing just a little bit of your presence. Lord, I want to be like the priests in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 where they couldn't even enter into the the, the temple of God because God's glory was so great there. Why can't we seek God for encounters like that today? Why can't we just stir our hearts to say, God, there must be more than what we're experiencing now because there is. He's a living God. Living God, I won't even talk about the Israelites' experience. Mount Sinai, thundering and shakings, the pillar of smoke above the mountains. I mean, the presence of God. God is real, He is alive, and He wants us to experience Him in a far greater way than we are now. But it comes down to desire. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, I think it was, he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been thirsty? Dash. They call it fasting. It's never fasting. It's always slowing. Fasting's never fasting, it's slowing. But hunger, hunger speaks of, 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 a, of a strong desire. Thirst speaks of a strong desire. Jesus was saying there, the key to experiencing more of the kingdom of God in our lives comes down to our desires. How desirous are we of the presence of God? And he says that they're blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, I thought about it this morning as I was just preparing. Uh, Something that that came out of me out of the book of Acts chapters 1 and 2. And I wanted to share it with you this morning because the early church was marked by a strong desire for the presence of God. I think the problem with with a lot of the church today uh, is this. We have far too much entertainment going on in and around our lives. I'm not saying this morning, don't watch a good movie. I'm not saying this morning, don't enjoy the great things that are in our our lives. I'm not saying anything like that this morning. But what I am saying is we must make sure that we live on the edge of having a hungry heart for God. That if we lose that edge for a hungry heart for God, then there must be stuff, too much stuff going on in and around our lives. Amen? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The early church, so hungry for the presence of God. And we see in Acts chapter 1, we see a group of 120 people waiting 10 days in a room, waiting for the promise that Jesus gave them. Amen? And what I love about these 120 people is that they had no idea what to expect. They just knew that Jesus said that the promise of the Holy Spirit was coming. But other than that, they didn't know what it looked like. They didn't know what it felt like. They had no idea, but they were just waiting there in in that room, waiting for 10 days. And you know, I found interesting, listen to this thought this morning, from Passover to feast, the feast of Pentecost is a 50-day period. In Acts, we see it says that Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days and then he ascended. When he rose from the grave, he was with the disciples for a period of 40 days and then he ascended. And then there was a 10-day period in waiting. But what I found really interesting is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
it says that during that 40-day period, there were over 500 disciples that met with Christ through those 40-day period. My question is, what happened to the other 380? Where did they go? Was it for the fact that they got to day 40, Jesus ascended? Day one, day two, day three, not much happening. 500, over 500 encountered Jesus for a 40-day period. Jesus tells them to wait for 10 days now. We're minus 380 people. Where did they go? My take on that thought is this, that obviously the 120 that were left there were more desirous for the promise that Jesus promised them. The 120 that were left there, the ones that were really desperate and desiring a greater encounter. The other 380, for whatever reason, they might, might have thought it's, 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 uh, it's not going to happen. They might have waited there a couple of days, whatever the thought may be. But I just believe out of this story here, we as people encounter God's presence when we have a strong desire to do so. Amen? And I felt this this morning that God wants to ask each of us, are there things that are stealing our desire for him? Everyone's gone quiet. Maybe we were all quiet before and I'm just having a time up here on my own. Are you getting anything this morning? Amen. I want to look at just two more, two more passages of Scripture, then we'll be done. But... There's a couple of things to to learn because, again, the question is, are there things stealing our desire? Story of Moses, Exodus chapter 33, the promise of God's presence. I want you to look at the hunger within Moses' heart for God's presence. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people, for you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I might know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. God, if you don't go with us, then I don't want to move from your presence. I'll stay here rather than go up there and your presence stay here. God, I'm so desperate for your presence. You hear the heart of Moses there? He'd rather stay on the edge of the Red Sea than pursue the pathway to the promised land without the presence of God. We need to stir our hearts for more of God's presence. We need to come to a place where we're putting nights aside, where we just cry out to God. Come on, church. We need to get a greater hunger in our hearts and our lives for God. Not to allow the things of this world to to clog and and to to, to mess up a, a pure heart that says, God, I want more of you. But God, if you don't come with us, if you don't come with us, then I want to stay says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so shall we be separate. 
your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said to him, please show me your glory. You read into the next couple of chapters, there's the whole story there of God coming down and revealing his glory to Moses. Most amazing thing. How did that happen? Because Moses had a desire in his heart. He said, God, I don't want to go anywhere without you. God honors that desire. And you read the story. It's the most beautiful story of God revealing his glory to a man. Moses' cry to, to, to God was to experience more of God's presence. Some of the things, God, show me a way. Another thing that he said, I want to know you. Another thing, I'm not moving unless your presence goes with me. And the last thing, that please show me your joy. Moses had a strong desire to experience more of God's presence. Why was Moses so bent on not living without God's presence in his life? Did you know that Moses would go and encounter God's presence? Got about eight minutes. That's great. I can do it. But you know, Moses would go and encounter God's presence. The Bible says that when the, uh, when the tabernacle was set up, the Israelites would camp around the meeting place that was the, 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 the tabernacle, uh, which meant the meeting place. I've already said that. I'm saying it again. Just wasted 10 seconds. But you know, the, the, the Bible would say in, in the book of Exodus there that, um, that uh, the, 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 the pillar of um, a fire would come down at nighttime and the pillar of smoke uh, during the day. And this was the deal, that when, when the Israelite children saw the pillar of fire come down, all of the men of the village would come and stand at the doorway of their tent because they knew that that was the calling card for Moses to come and meet with God. They would all stand at the doorway of their tents and they would all watch Moses walk into the tabernacle and have an encounter with God. But what I love about this is that when Moses would leave that place, there were times when Moses' Moses' face shone so brightly from the glory of God that many people were saying to Moses, Moses, you've got to cover your face because your face is shining so much. So much. And I think that that's a picture for us. Could we shine Jesus so brightly? Could we shine God so brightly in our communities? Could we be the light that Jesus called us to? And be, a, be so bright, be so bright, the Christ in us. Could we? Yes, we could. Amen. But his presence and the encounter with God was so bright. His face shone. Wow. Just shone. We want that bill, don't we? Amen. Yeah. Daphne, last little story. Exodus 19 talks about, you know, Moses' desire. There's something in Exodus chapter 3 that I feel that God just wants to show us this morning. Just as we conclude, amen. So Exodus chapter 3. And Moses was tending the flock of Jethro and his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. This is quite a time after Moses, um, Moses, flees. Moses flees from Egypt. He's, uh, he, you know the story. He was raised as an Egyptian, living in the house of Pharaoh. He's overwhelmed by the, uh, the, 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 the cruelty that the Egyptians are showing towards the Israelite people. He knows in his heart that he's an Israelite. 
One day, as he's mixing uh, with the slaves, he sees one of them being treated very, very poorly. And uh, in rage, he goes and kills one of the Egyptians. Because of that, he now uh, flees because he knows that the Pharaoh uh, will want to come and imprison him or kill him. So he flees and he's on this whole journey of escaping. And then we pick the story up in, um, in Exodus chapter 3. And it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro in his, uh, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame from the, from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord said that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I believe a greater desire for the presence of God will cause us to have a greater hunger for holiness. Holiness. The thought that I felt the Holy Spirit gave was this. I believe that Moses taking off his sandals speaks to us of the need to remove the things that are limiting our desire for more of the presence of God. If you weren't here last Sunday, we spoke about the story of Naaman and how Naaman was so full of himself that he almost missed the promise and the miracle that God had for him. It wasn't until Naaman humbled himself and emptied his life that he received the promise from God, which was his healing. But I wonder this morning, just like Moses had to take off his sandals to enter the ground that God perceived and knew to be holy ground, are there things in our lives as well that maybe the Lord's asking us to take off in order for us to have a greater connection with his spirit. Amen. I finished, I started this morning saying we'll start with some negatives and then we'll finish with the positive. And I want to want to read it to you this morning. It's the great invitation. It's Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 11. It's beautiful. He says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't you love that? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, I just would love the, uh, just the keyboard and a couple of singers, if we may. 
And friends, family this morning, we just, I'll release, release folk that have to go and need to go. Amen. But for those that would like to spend just a few minutes just worshiping God in this place and reaching out to him and just saying, Father, I surrender. There's things that I'm needing to take off then. Help me with that. But God, it's your presence. Amen. Amen. Could we sing that song, Holy Spirit, this morning? Would that be possible for us to do that? That would be wonderful.